Oh, man. If you were, hey, folks, if you were wondering, if you thought the Padres are going to go in here, your expectations were they're going to get killed by the Red Sox. Don't worry. They, they, they just don't disappoint you, do they? <laughs> oh, man. Recapping a series between the San Diego Padres and Boston Red Sox. Yet again, despite winning the last game of the series, not going their way. Why didn't it go their way? Why a lot of people are falling off? The decline and back to awfulness of Trent Grisham and much more. You know what you're listening to. So let's get started. You are Locked On Padres, your daily San Diego Padres podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of the Lockdown Padres Podcast, which is part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day for, what is this, Monday, May 22nd. As always, I'm your host with sometimes occasionally, but certainly, I promise you, not always the most, Javier Reyes. You can follow me on Twitter at Javapeno, J-A-V-I-I-P-E-N-O, or at L-O underscore Padres, if you get tired of my sometimes not baseball tweets over on my main account don't worry at lo underscore pie is where you can get all the updates on the show and you know little memes and whatnot always there for you the lockdown Padres account thank you as always for making lockdown Padres also your first listen every day we're free and available on all platforms and if it's not the first listen of your day to be honest with you, I, I like the idea if you you get to it at some point. I really appreciate you. Thank you for making this show possible and for me to be able to do this as part of a job. Um, also, check out the YouTube channel, Lockdown Potters on YouTube, where you will see I added a new friend, actually, to the setup uh, to, rep- to reference the sadness that is the Padres' current state of affairs these days. Uh, you have Waka Waka Patman, you have Fernando Tatis Jr., and then you have a gal named Jinx from the show on Netflix called League of Legends Arcane. And if anybody has seen that show, you know how sad she is. And that kind of reflects where I currently feel about the Padres, despite the fact that they did win one game of this series, which we're going to talk about first, actually. Usually we save kind of the the good news for last. Um, But I think that this weekend really didn't have a lot of good news. So overall, I want to talk about also just the fact that it was the most recent game. And then we're going to be talking about the the rest of the series and just the current problems with the Padres as a whole before they head into, I believe is, are they going to Washington? Let me give you one second. Before they go to Washington to play the Nationals and what should be a series that they should be favored in, but also might be a a dark reminder of... uh, why the Padres team has been in such a concerning spot. And I'll explain that a little bit later. But for now, let's talk about that first game. Or I should say that Sunday game. The only game that the Padres win of this series. They beat the Red Sox 7 to nothing, And it was very cool. It was a pretty no-anxiety game for the most part. Like, there wasn't really anything to report here in terms of, like, you know, major hits, bases loaded. Like, in terms of, like, like clutch scenarios, I should say. It was kind of over pretty early on. And a big reason for that, aside from the offense, which we'll get into, is Michael Waka, who was great yet again. Um, six innings, zero earned runs, five hits, one walk, and four Ks. He's been electric. And here's the thing. I said this at the early beginning of the season. I don't think anything changed here. I think he located his fastball really well, and he certainly used his changeup a lot. He actually uses his changeup. He used it 34% of his pitches uh, in yesterday's game were changeups, and he actually throws his changeup Almost as much as any starting pitcher does. This is like a real thing, and it's been pretty good oftentimes. He actually generated 10 whiffs on 22 swings 
uh, on that changeup, which was great. So it was kind of a big put-away pitch for him. So kind of put batters away. And he located his fastball good enough. So that's why he looks so good. He's going to have moments when he gets lit up by the Arizona Dimebacks, as he did a few weeks ago, right? When he gave up five earned runs and four innings on 10 hits. But he's also going to have some really solid starts, especially when he can manage the control. And he did here against a very potent Red Sox offense. So that's really great to see. What isn't necessarily great to see is that Michael Waka is essentially, if you just go by ERA, been the best starter on the Padres, dare I say. I don't want to say that definitively, but he has, in terms of ERA, been one of the best starters on the team because while he has had those blow-up starts, he's also been the one that's gone shutouts like this. So he's a little bit up and down. I think he's going to remain that way for the rest of the season. But he's been really, really important uh, for this team uh, in a lot of ways. He was brought in as a fifth starter, and instead... He has acted more like a two or three oftentimes. Yes, I think that there are going to be times when he does get hit pretty hard. But for the most part, he has been uh, pretty, pretty solid. Uh, pretty solid indeed. He's riding a 15-inning scoreless streak. This via Kevin Acey's, um, uh, what's it called, newsletter uh, for the San Diego Tribune. He's riding a 15-inning scoreless streak and has allowed one run and 25 innings over his past four starts, including the six innings that he threw yesterday as he improved to 5-1. and one with a 3.58 ERA. So if you have him fantasy baseball, you're kind of chilling right now with him as a low-key starter. The Padres are 7-2 and two in his starts, and he has started the only three victories over the team's past 14 games. That is, whew, let me tell you, folks, let me tell you. And speaking of those those victories and whatnot, the Padres did score seven runs, um, and also via Kevin Acey's newsletter. Um, it was... Uh, what's it called? Uh, it, it was a rare offensive showing. I mentioned in my video yesterday on Twitter, it's the first time they'd score more than four runs since May 9th. And in this one, since scoring 22 runs on the final two days of April in Mexico City, the Padres have scored more than three runs in just seven of their 18 games. And just once did they do so in consecutive games. So, look, it was nice what they did here. And in fact, to be, I should probably talk about, like, who was the, the hero of this game. Not who you would expect. Uh, the hero to be of this game. It was Runan Odor, the bane of my existence. I've mentioned this man many times. He's not my favorite, but in the bottom of the first inning, Corey Kluber is unable to kind of maintain control, who I famously said I would have, wouldn't have minded the Padres acquiring this offseason. He was really bad, not locating a lot of full counts, and it was scary for a second because Matt Carpenter got an RBI in this, but it was because of a walk of the bases with the bases loaded. And then it was two outs all of a sudden. And me, my mind, I was like, here we go again. If the Padres are only able to score because of mistakes, that is once again bad. So if they left that inning with only one run, in theory, in a vacuum, it's like, all right, well, at least you scored. But for this Padres team, for you to only be able to score based on wild pitches, and Jake Cronenworth actually hits a, a ball that Corey Kluber uh, fields improperly. So that's another reason they had the bases loaded. So they just never put together productive outs. So that was a frustrating thing. But thankfully, Renan Odor has a bases-clearing double, and basically the Padres never looked back. Matt Carpenter hits a bomb later on to make it 6 nothing, and then Renan Odor also has another RBI later on in the game, making it 7 nothing. I'm not um, reading into this Odor thing whatsoever. This guy has been among some of the worst like offensive players in baseball for a while. I don't know exactly why he keeps getting chances. To be honest with you, I think it's probably his age because he's a sneaky just 29 years old. Um, so that's probably why, because teams are just, he's so young and he's been in the league for the while for a while, so they just feel a need to keep kind of giving him chances, which I can somewhat respect. If you're going to take a flyer on someone, uh, take a flyer on someone who's had some success before and is young, I guess. Uh, but for the most part, 
it's nothing that I'm all that uh, excited about. He still only has a 61 WRC plus with the Padres so far this season. The fact that he is even starting games as consistently as he has is a really bad sign. Uh, so not great. Not great whatsoever. Uh, for the pods there, but even still, it's a nice W, and Michael Waka has been very solid at times, so let me do it. Pac-Man uh, shouting out uh, on the camera, that was my worst Waka Waka I think I've ever done so far on this show, uh, but yeah, uh, shouts to Waka, really pulled the Padres from without the fire, uh, because a sweep would have made me have to go full Joker. I still got the headdress on, and the, not headdress, I still got the, you know, the, the clown hat, or whatever, the jester hat on, if you are watching the YouTube but uh, overall here, just not all that great. Um, not great also, Trent Grisham. Uh, 0 for 3 in this game. It wasn't his worst game of the weekend or anything like that, but uh, still pretty rough. Uh, Grisham, I was wrong, again. And I should have trusted myself to stay with what my prediction and what my feeling has been ever since the offseason. People got excited because the Eno Saris tweet said that in terms of hard hit rate in the second half last season, that Trent Grisham had the highest increase in hard hit rate among players in the second half last year. People got excited. I was like, okay, whatever. But when I watch him play, he doesn't look good and he just can't. I think his swing is kind of flawed in a lot of ways, even if it's kind of unique and looks cool. Um, Grisham went 0 for 3, and he's batting 186, two points higher than his MLB worst average last season. He was batting 236, 347, 443 on May 3rd. He is 2 for 39 with six walks and 14 games since. His on base percentage is also down to 302, and he only has a 345 slugging percentage. That via Kevin AC San Diego Union Tribune newsletter as well. I was wrong. Uh, I, I think that I should have stuck to my gut. I liked all the changes that we saw uh, heading into the season. He was a lot more aggressive, and he was hitting the ball harder, and that made me excited. But it looks like his bat-to-ball skills are just really bad, and when you throw the right pitches to him, as long as it's not a hanging slider or anything like that, he's not going to do much damage to you, and it's a really big problem, and he's kind of one of the poster boys for, like, Advanced stats almost because anyone who watches baseball probably thinks this guy's terrible uh, for the most part, but because of his defense, that's what keeps him in the game. Um, but overall, 186 average, it's not going to cut it. I don't care if he has a decent amount of power. Uh, it's just gone. It's just gone. And he strikes out way too much. In fact, on the team, aside from like Adam Angle and Brandon Dixon, who haven't played all that much, Nelson Cruz, Matt Carpenter, and Trent Grisham have the highest strikeout rates on this te- team. Uh, the Cruz one is scary because he only has a 2.9% walk rate. So that, well, Nelson Cruz hasn't been the worst player on the team by any stretch because he has had moments where he's been really good. Uh, man, the Nelson Cruz thing has been really bad. And it looks like he might have just been that the eye surgery and whatnot that he got last season might have been just uh, given him a good start to the year. But overall, he's been pretty bad. And Matt Carpenter, he strikes out a lot, but he has a 16.1% walk rate which is the highest on the team next to Juan Soto. So that's been very good. And then you have Grisham at 30% strikeout rate. She's not going to cut it. Not going to cut it. I've seen him strike out with the bases loaded. I see him turn into Adam Dunn. I see him turn into bad version of Joey Gallo whenever there are runners in scoring position. He's been atrocious, and I can't really pat myself on the back because I had thought I did not like the projections that Fangraphs, if you guys remember, we did these little uh, Zips projections heading into the year. Um, about you know how they projected Trent Grisham, and they projected him to be a lot better, about a 3.2, I think, win 
player, F4 player. And my thing was like, I don't care if his hard hit rate went up that much. He looks terrible at the plate. I'm not going to let that be the reason to just assume that he's going to be better. And look what's happened. Now he currently is rocking a WRC plus of just 85. Much like the rest of his Padres teammates, very disappointing. But ladies and gentlemen, we ain't done with we ain't done. Look, I got the jester hat on for a reason. We're gonna get crazy in here. You know what I'm saying? Before we talk about the rest of the games of this series and talk about how porous this Padres team has been, let me take a second, guys, to talk to you about something real, real nice. Real nice. Nicer than the Padres offense. Nicer than the Padres were, apparently, to Clayton Kershaw with that meme from a few weeks ago, which they are now, I think, like three and twelve, uh, ever since they posted that. Let's talk about eBay Motors, ladies and gentlemen. A championship team is about each player being a perfect fit. Same with your vehicle. So, for parts that fit, head to eBay Motors and check for the green check. (laughs) Uh, Stay in the game with eBay Guaranteed Fit. eBayMotors.com. Let's ride. When you are in the garage, basically, it'll show you a green check when you are selecting parts for your vehicle to tell you whether or not it's compatible. So don't worry about, like, Oh, I don't know, man. I don't know cars. And I don't know. I just, they said I need something like this. And I don't know. I don't want to buy anything and have it not work. It's going to be horrible. And, ah. Don't worry. They got the green check system for you. Uh, the, the best of a, a check mark system these days, dare I say. Um, but check, check that out, guys. eBay Motors. The right parts, the right fit, and the right prices. And we're back, everybody, here on the Lockdown Padres podcast. Remember, thank you, as always, for making us your first listen every day. Free and available on all platforms. We got to talk about the rest of the series. Uh, uh, the rest of the series. Uh, uh. And let me tell you, I want to start. I want to actually talk about Saturday's game real quick because Saturday's game didn't have much to speak of as well, uh, really, in the grand calculus of things. Uh, the Padres lost this one. Uh, as I mentioned, they did lose the series uh, two games to one, and I cannot find the game on Baseball Savant for some reason. That is odd. Don't you just hate when that happens? Don't you hate when they just betray you? They lose this one four to two. After they get shut down by Chris Sale uh, for the most part, who looked pretty good. He actually generated 16 whiffs. His fastball was good, and his infamous, infamous slider that has always killed lefties especially uh, was very good in this game as well. Uh, he was great. Chris Sale talked about it with the crossover with Lauren on Friday that he's been um, much better. Both him and James Paxton have actually shown some signs of life for that Red Sox team. Even if overall their pitching is among some of the worst in baseball, they have had a little bit of bounce back. And Chris Sale has been a big part of that. So I wasn't necessarily frustrated that they couldn't hit him. But even still, every time I say, oh, well, it was a good pitcher... I can't keep saying that every other day. You're going to face good pitchers. Like, that's just the product of playing in Major League Baseball. You can't face, you know, uh, uh, a, a Corey Kluber every day. You can't face a uh, Herman Marquez. You can't face a, you know, Joey Lucchese, whatever. Like, bad sort of starting pitchers out there. You can't face them every day. So, eventually, I don't really care uh, who is pitching for the other team. You have to do something. And in this game, they uh, precisely did not do uh, anything. Um, they lose 4-2, like I said. On the Padres' side of things, okay start again for Joe Musgrove. It's starting to get to the point where it's like, all right, like I know that you had the injury to start the season, but you got to pitch better. Uh, five innings, four earned runs on six hits. He walked one, struck out six. Again, not the worst in the world, especially considering the Red Sox have had some of the best 
offense in all of baseball, but he just has not been hitting that stride yet. I'm not really worried because I think eventually he will. I think maybe this national series and then followed by the Yankees series. I actually think he might have a good start against the Yankees. I think he matches up okay against them. Feel free to shove this back in my face after he gets lit up for eight runs on Saturday. But um, I think that uh, we need a little bit more from Musgrove. And there's nothing that immediately jumps out to me when I look at his numbers or anything like that. But he just has to be better. Uh, He's not generating enough whiffs on any of his pitches. And just not really locating stuff all that well. He just hasn't been able to put batters away. Um, And granted, yes, a very good Red Sox offense, so it could have gone worse. Um, but unfortunately, four runs is all that it really takes to beat the Padres team, right? Um, they only put up two runs in this game, and that's because of a home run from Fernando Tatis Jr., who actually, uh, I remember he fouled off a pitch, I think, uh, in this series at one point, and he was so frustrated because he thought he should have done better with it, and then hits the home run the next pitch. So in this game, one for four with the solo shot, which is great. Before people bring up, because I know I get this question a lot, which is, why is Tatis the leadoff hitter when he could be the guy driving and runs? First of all, I don't know if they might turn things around. It's totally possible. But Tatis is the type of player, and I've said this before, this is a game script thing, right? This is why Ronald Acuna Jr. is the leadoff hitter for the Braves. This is why George Springer is the leadoff hitter for the Blue Jays, right? This is why. It's because they have speed and because you get more fastballs, and because you get them more at-bats. You don't want to put a runner like Tatis on early to start off the game. You just don't. So as a result, you're probably going to see a few more fastballs, and Tatis is going to crush fastballs. So you get potentially one run there, and then because he has protection, in theory, in this lineup, that's why they bat him first, at least in my opinion. I'm not saying I'm against moving him around in the order. I'm just saying that that's, I think, why they are currently doing it. And it's totally justified. So I know I'm going to get that question. Uh, I get that question basically every other week. Uh, whatever Tatis has a good game. So shouts to him. The only thing with Tatis I will say is um, does need to work on walking just a little bit more. His strikeout rate is actually really encouraging. Um, historically speaking, Tatis is not the type of player that uh, doesn't strike out a lot, now, and which, by the way, is fine because he slugs the ball so much it usually doesn't matter. But his lifetime strikeout rate is actually 26.6%. He's only at 17.7 this year. Um, So while he isn't walking a lot, 5.6%, that's the lowest of his career by far, um, and that usually helps outweigh his strikeouts by quite a decent amount, he has been, you know, lowering the strikeout rate. He's put together a lot of productive outs, which has been pointed out to people that with runners in scoring position, the Padres have the most strikeouts in baseball. They can't even get a sack fly for anyone who might have been watching Sunday Night Baseball between the, the Guardians and the Mets. Jeff McNeil, while he didn't get the big hit, he did get what they needed, which was a sack fly that brought in the go-ahead run. The Padres can't do that. They never put together productive at-bats. It's very rare that they can work the count. They barely even foul pitches off all that well. They just take their three hacks and leave way too often, Uh, especially players like Nelson Cruz. So it's been really rough. Um, But Tatis has been an exception to that. So I really do appreciate how good he has been. Um, considering a year off of baseball, right? Like, he didn't play for a year. Considering all the injuries, it's really cool to see where he's at. 123 WRC+, is nothing incredible to write home about. But combine that with his somewhat surprisingly amazing defense and his base running makes him such an amazing player and one of the best players overall for this Padres team uh, thus far. So really love to see that. Hopefully he can keep it up. And the other home run coming from the other player, that has been doing pretty well for the Padres, Mr. Juan Soto. He actually gets a stolen base in this game, which was cool too, and he draws a walk. Does strike out twice, but nonetheless, 142 WRC plus in the season. That is the highest 
of all qualified Padres players, which I love. I love it very much. It is fantastic, man. Let me tell you, I love it. Uh, so that was very cool. But that's the only runs they end up scoring in this game, leaving more runners on base. Uh, just uh, not great. Not great whatsoever. Um, in fact, to end the inning, I, I believe, Soto drew, yeah, Soto drew a walk, and then Juan Soto also stole second. Cronenworth walked, and then Brandon Dixon would first at second, of course, has a pop-out. The infield pop-outs is another thing. Aside from just strikeouts and really quick counts, they have had as many infield fly balls as I can see for basically any qualified team. Uh, so Padres offense just not getting it done once again, aside from a couple home runs, which is like the one area that the Padres offense hasn't been the worst in the league, I believe. They're 18th in home runs, which is nothing to write home about, but it's the only thing they haven't been the worst in. To recap, they are 30th in batting average, 21st in on-base, and 26th. 26th. I hate saying silk on the podcast. You know, the if. I hate that. Uh, and slugging percentage, they're 24th. Um, which is really unfortunate because their pitching has been very good. ERA is 10th. Batting average against is 4th. And walks and hits per inning has been 10th. Uh, they are really, really good on the pitching side of things and the defensive side of things. Which I pointed out on Friday that in terms of outs above average, they are 1st in the league. Ultimate zone rating, they are 5th. And defensive runs saved, I believe they are tied for 4th. So just that gives you an idea if you're wondering how can we possibly be winning with not the best starting pitching in the world and, uh, you know, a really like one of the most disappointing lineups in recent memory, defense and bullpen. Uh, bullpen has been a lot better. Tom Cosgrove, I should have mentioned, uh, actually did pretty good in yesterday's game. Uh, and he's got a little bit of a scoreless streak going seven and two thirds innings over eight games at the start of his big league career. So that's been a nice little find for the Padres, especially considering some up and down performances from this bullpen uh, every now and then again, especially with uh, Nabil Krizmat early on and Luis Garcia. Nice to see that. That's how the Padres are winning games, and that's kind of how they won games last year. And while that might excite you, the idea of bringing up how last year, you know, they snuck into the playoffs and then they did so well, that should not be the case when you add a Bogarts, when you have a full year of Soto, and when you get Tatis back. Your offense shouldn't be, your team philosophy shouldn't be, let's hope to score two runs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that should not be the case with your team. But unfortunately, that has been the case, and that's why they've been so frustrating this year. Before we recap the last game and give a couple more nods, including a mention about the upcoming Nationals and why that series also might break me in its own way, our new sponsor, So Rare. You've heard of them before. They're pretty good. You might have been seeing them all across the baseball sphere. That's because it's the hit new game. Aside from MLB The Show, this thing is the bomb, man. Let me tell you. Uh, it's a revolutionary fantasy baseball game and marketplace transforming fans into owners with officially licensed digital cards featuring players from all 30 MLB teams. And in fact, So Rare actually recently partnered with All-Stars Juan Soto and Julio Rodriguez. Our boys, dare I say. Julio Rodriguez, not the best season for him. But Juan Soto, but keeping it going, man. He's been great. Uh, they actually serve as brand ambassadors for it, so that that gives you a little bit more of an oomph to go check it out. The more you win, the more you advance in collecting increasingly powerful cards and accessing next-level competition rewards. Think your baseball card collecting thing crossed with fantasy sports. It's like two to three times a week. Or I'm sorry, games happen twice weekly, my mistake, and span a three- to four-day cycle. At the end of game weeks, managers who rank at or near the top of their leaderboards win a variety of rewards, including... Scarcity cards, game tickets, merchandise, signed jerseys, VIP experiences like meeting baseball stars. I mean, come on. What are you waiting for? Head to SoRare.com slash locked on. And remember that's spelled S O 
R-A-R-E.com to draft your team of free player cards. Set your lineup and start competing today to win epic rewards. I know I had a little Adolis Garcia action going. A little Aaron Nola action going. Not the, not the brother of his on our team. Aaron Nola, I got that going for me. I feel pretty good this week, folks. I feel pretty good. And let me know. Tweet me your lineups if you got stuff. Again, that's SoRay.com slash LockedOn to start playing today. Mm. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen, on this here episode of the Lockdown Padres podcast. We're recapping the rest of the series. Let's finish with one final game that I think I'm only going to basically cover one part of it. I think there's only one really important part that happened from Friday's game. Aside from the fact that the the game was over probably after the second inning, uh, is Blake Snell. In this game, the Padres end up losing 6-1, and that is because it was all six-charged uh, to Mr. Blake Snell. Four innings, six earned runs, two walks, five Ks. His ERA on the season is 5.4. Uh, just, again, really, really poor stuff. Um, not locating that fastball as much as... And in, I had talked about... With Lauren uh, on Friday's episode, the crossover, how I thought, you know, Blake Snell, while he'd been struggling f- from a the kind of uh, now I'm, now I'm careful to not say tertiary too much. <laughs> I know I keep saying that so much, uh, so I'm trying not to. Um, but from a tertiary aspect, you know, his just exterior numbers, his ERA wasn't that good this year. But he'd been performing a little bit better. I liked what I saw, just kind of giving us some quality starts. And unfortunately, then he gets lit up by the Red Sox. Granted, a good team, but even still. Uh, Snell, when he's supposed to be on, it usually doesn't matter uh, what team that he faces, right? And uh, and this time it did. Padres only score one run in this game thanks to a home run from Mr. Fernando Tatis Jr., two for four on the night. <laughs> Again, that guy has been pretty electric, all things considered. Um, and it's it's funny because uh, there was actually at one point in this game, uh, Devers hit an absolute sh- like line shot, the hardest hit ball of the game. Um, from in the fifth inning from Rafael Devers uh, going 112.9 miles per hour. It actually ended up being a line out. Expected batting average is 7.30. So there was even a little bit of luck on the Padres' uh, side of things. Uh, Devers took him deep at one point in the third inning, the big home run that kind of blows the game wide open because once once you score a decent amount of runs on the Padres like that early, just feels like the game is over. And they were unable to hit James Paxton, who I don't even think looked that sharp. I know that his ERA is pretty good on the season. I don't think he was that incredible. I just think that the Padres' offense is terrible. Um, and I don't think a lot of people would disagree with that. Snell, unfortunately, not locating, not getting any whiffs, especially especially on his slider, which he actually threw more. He's been doing a little bit more change-ups this year, and he actually went to what usually works for him, which is his fastball-slider combination. 57% of his pitches were the fastball, 23% slider. Usually it's it's been... Uh, a little bit flipped around. Usually he's been throwing a changeup and curveball a lot more, but uh, he didn't, and it didn't work, which is a little concerning, considering that's usually what like works for him the most, right? That's usually what he does uh, when he's on, and it did not work. So that's a little bit troubling um, for me, for sure. So that this is the scaredest I've been that maybe Snell might not turn it around after all. Um, and if he does, it'll be for like one month at the end of the season when the Padres are like 15 games out of the wild card spot potentially, right? So uh, really concerning that it was, he had been showing good signs. He'd been slowly, you know, having some decent okay starts. And then he faces the Red Sox, goes to the fastball slider approach, and he gets absolutely lit up. So that's not good. 
uh, whatsoever. I, I don't want to say I'm out on the guy. He's such a fun guy. I love rooting for him, but man, not great overall. Um, a bunch of strikeouts here from Brandon Dixon. You got two walks from Austin Nola, which this somehow, dare I say, was the best game uh, offensively for him all season. He also made an error in this series, by the way, which I missed because I was in the bathroom. And <laughs> I promptly was reminded, thanks to Padres Twitter, talking about how they want to DFA him. Two strikeouts from Nelson Cruz, two from Jake Cronenworth. Uh, just not great. Not great whatsoever. Um, whew. Two final things I kind of want to talk about. Number one, Hassan Kim. He's been playing, he's been manning third base ever since Manny Machado went on the IL. On Sunday's game, he went one for four, right, with a single. He's batting 276, slashing, I should say, 276, 349, 431 this month. Not too bad for the guy that Padres Twitter wants to trade every five seconds. I know that I bring this up a lot, how much people have seemingly wanted to trade him. But for me, Hassan Kim, he is what he is. And I was not expecting him to necessarily do all that much more. He's got a 95 WRC+, which is a little bit lower than last year. I think that he should be around the 103-104 range, right? He should be an average MLB at bat. But it's the defense that makes him so good. And for a guy who's kind of a bottom, you know, kind of a supporting character on this team, allegedly supposed to be a supporting character, I was fine. And it's okay if you have players on your team that are average major league batters that play incredible defense. That's how you win titles. Not everybody has to be superstar gangbusters. The problem is then the rest of the team is full of guys like that, right? Trent Grisham is the same thing. Great defender and then can't do anything at the plate. He's actually worse than Hassan Kim, and I actually thought that Grisham was showing th- signs of reverting at least to a version of his 2020 self, right? Like when we first got him and he was just such a great leadoff hitter. Now that's never the case. Now seeing him get a hit feels like a miracle. And I guess teams caught on to him, whatever he had done. Maybe he was getting lucky with some BABIP stuff, but he's declined dramatically, and I can't say that I think that he's going to get back to what he was before. I don't think this is a slump. I really am starting to believe this just is, is who he is. So while people talk about trading um, Hassan Kim and that he's not any good, and I don't like listening to uh, that stuff too often, and baseball reference I know, aside from fan graphs, that's why I use fan graphs, can weigh defense a little bit heavier. I think according to baseball reference, Hassan Kim's been like the best player on the team, which is crazy to me. But it's just, ah, it's frustrating. And I also got a lot of comments this weekend about DFA Nola, DFA Grisham, uh, trade Snell. And uh, who was another one? Uh, DFA, who else is on this damn team? Uh, (laughs) DFA Nelson Cruz. Here's the problem with all that. The Padres don't have anyone else. If you were hopeful that the reason that the Padres, you know, didn't necessarily, that they went all in on stars and stuff like that, is you were like, well, they believe in their farm and they believe in their training staff and they actually think that they'll be able to cultivate depth. Well, that has not been the case. Nelson Cruz, as I talked about, and I said this when he was doing well, that he was going to regress, that I liked how he was hitting the ball, but sometimes that man goes up there and looks like an 80-year-old. What do I mean by that? He don't care about anything. He's like, I'm old, I got paid, I want to go home. And that's what he kind of looks like sometimes, where he just takes his three hacks and sits down. I mean, some of his swings at pitches outside the zone, especially low and away, uh, it looks like he just decided before the pitch was thrown that he was going to swing as if the ball was going in the center of the plate, and he doesn't. It's very odd watching him at that. Matt Carpenter, he's been okay. He's a good, nice secondary role player for this team. I think he's been pretty okay for the most part. He can hit for a decent amount of power, as you saw with the home run. 
in yesterday's game. And he has some moments, you know, he'll draw some walks. 115 WRC+. plus. That's good. I love it. That's great. That's great. Just in a vacuum, that's a fine, fine player on a team that's supposed to have Matt Crushmore. But they have not had Matt Crushmore. Xander Bogart started off great to start the season. WRC plus is at 117, which is fine, but it's well below what we should be expecting from him. And his overall slash line has been solid, and his defense has been great. And that's why he's currently still the F4 leader on the team, because of some good defense at short as well. But the team is just not hitting, like all-star levels. So when you tell me DFA Grisham, trade Snell, for what? First of all, what are you going to trade Snell for? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If Snell was dealing... And, you know, you're like, oh, well, he's got a year left. Some teams might be even interested in that because he only has the half year. Like some of those teams are a little bit cheap. Maybe you get a Brewers or a Cleveland involved here, right? Or maybe a Tampa Bay. <laughs> Wouldn't that be funny, right? They bring him back. That'd, that'd be hilarious if that somehow happened, um, which it won't, but that'd be hilarious. Um, you know, so when people say DFA these guys, this is what I was talking about all last year. And I am sorry. I'm sorry to be the guy that likes to occasionally pump his own stuff. I have confidence problems. So every now and then I like doing this to make myself feel better. Yes, I was wrong at the beginning of this Grisham thing. I've been wrong about a lot of things uh, while doing this pod before, for sure. Make no mistake. But this is one of the reasons I was concerned about the Juan Soto trade. There is, and in terms of, and just any move the Padres have made, I do not hate, with the exception of the Austin Nola trade, which at the time, it's been a while since I remember when I talked about that trade. When they made the trade, I was like, okay. I mean, I mean, I don't like Austin Hedges and Francisco Mejia, but at that point, wouldn't we rather just chill? And You know what I mean? Like, I was just, and I was like, all right, well, Ty France is the first base guy. I guess you're never going to have him. Ty France looks awesome. Ty France would be amazing for this team. He'd be huge. Super hitting first baseman. I know he doesn't hit for a lot of power like uh, Jay Cronenworth does. Or, I'm sorry. Yeah, hold on. He doesn't hit for a lot of power similar to Jake Cronenworth, but he's certainly better batting average on base guy. He's just a hitter's hitter. And having him there and being able to move Cronenworth in the infield, that would have been nice. It's the only trade that I think in a vacuum I still think was a bad move. Um, Mike Clevenger, I stand by it. You know what I mean? Like, at the time, I stand by it. Uh, Hugh Darvish, Blake Snell, Juan Soto, Trent Grisham, uh whoever, uh, whatever players I'm, I'm forgetting right now, Joe Musgrove, all these. It's not that in a vacuum any of the trades are bad. That is not the point I must emphasize. I am not saying that the Soto trade was bad. What I am saying is all of these moves add up. And as a result, when you tell me DFA Grisham, when you tell me trade Snell, when you tell me send Austin Nola into the sun, who are you going to bring up? People always do this, right? They do this in fantasy baseball where they're like, I want to drop a guy who's been performing poorly. In fantasy football, when your running back is terrible for three weeks, you're like, I want to drop him. Okay, cool. But who are you picking up? You can't just drop people to drop them. You have to have replacements, and that's why depth matters. And I said it, and if if this, for whatever happens, if this was like the last podcast I ever did, what I will take with me to the grave is I was on this before, before the Juan Soto trade. Everyone was like, you got to trade their unproven talent, all these things. My issue was never the trade in a vacuum. My issue was, and this is where we transition. We play the Washington Nationals this week, upcoming. We'll actually be playing them tomorrow by the time you're listening to this, or today. Maybe you're listening to it a little bit late. That's fine. Love you. Love you for listening. My problem wasn't who they gave up. Not the Abrams, not Susana, not 
um, Hassel, not James Woods, not Mackenzie Gore. I get it. It's Juan Soto, and he's been pretty good for the Padres, and he's been bouncing back and has been carrying this team in a lot of ways on offense. It's that once you do that trade, you don't got much left. You don't have wiggle room, and that's what I like to have with my baseball team. If this was a team that didn't have a Tatis or Machado on it and wasn't planning to spend on Bogarts, then heck yeah, do it. But you don't just trade everything for superstars because then you get something like this. Where if they don't play like superstars, and you know, God forbid, if Tatis is just a a pretty good batter, then then you're gonna suffer a lot because you don't have depth. And that's my biggest issue. And I said it before they made the trade. I was still excited. I still love the trade, and I I still think I'd probably make it again. I think. But let me tell you, it's it's pretty rough. Xander Bogarts, guys. So many players on this team are extended for the next like decade plus. That it makes you, there's no wiggle room. So when everyone tells me, get rid of this guy, change things, and I imagine I'm going to get a lot, Preller needs to do stuff at the deadline, do what? We're going to trade Ethan Salas at 18 years old? The future catcher? He's 18 years old, we're going to get rid of even more future? We're going to get rid of Jackson Merrill, our only great prospect next to Salas? Is that what we're going to do? That's my issue. So yes, Soto's great. But when everyone yells at me about wanting to protect prospects, it's not because I think James Wood is the next Paul Goldschmidt or Aaron Judge. It's because I like to have backup. You know how good it feels if, say, Trent Grisham stinks or Runetta Dorr stinks, and you're like, you know what? Let's call up James Wood. You know how good that feels? That's why you keep prospects. And you're seeing this year why building a team that way when those things don't hit on all four cylinders with the Mount Crushmore lineup. This is the downside, and we've seen it in every full way. Well, that was depressing. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen of this year Locked On Padres podcast, the only pod that may be better than the Padres themselves. I must say, before we kind of uh, close it out, all that thing about prospects, we're going to be facing C.J. Abrams and Mackenzie Gore this week. That should be a fun reunion. I love those guys. Abrams, by the way, slowly showing some signs, and he's still a baby. He's still like 21 years old. So all of you fools out there, who were saying, oh, Abrams looks terrible. I don't I don't see it. Well, it's very rare that you get called up as young as he is. A lot of teams see it. He's going to be good. I still think he's still going to be great. It's just going to take a little bit more time. He's not Bryce Harper, right? He's not going to immediately come up and be great. And Mackenzie Gore, ooh, he's been dealing. He's been dealing. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. So we'll see how that all transpires, guys. Yes, the Joker will be out in full force after Mackenzie Gore shuts us out over six innings. That will be great. Um, remember, guys, of course, follow me on Twitter at Javapeno, J-A-V-I-I-P-E-N-O, or at L-O underscore Padres. Going to be doing some crossovers with Ryan Clary of Lockdown Nationals to preview this national series, of course. That should be a lot of fun, so look forward to that. Uh, I don't know if it'll come after game one, so we might not be able to preview game one, but the rest of the series are just talking about both teams as a whole. You know, checking up on our former homies uh, in the national system now. That should be a lot of fun. Also probably going to do my weekly crossover with Ryan Stiles. And later on this week, a crossover with Steve Granato and Stacey Gatsoulias of Locked On Yankees. Dare I say, the best produced show on the network. Better produced than my dumb Jester Court-looking self uh, could do sometimes. That should be a lot of fun previewing this Yankees series, in which I will be at Saturday's game, actually, which is a lot of fun uh, if you enjoy seeing me sad. Uh, Because that's probably what's going to happen. But uh, until that next time, guys, stay safe. And, of course, stay faithful, my fire faithful homies. Take care.